0: You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. We come alive as we
1: Which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In essence, understand what I'm saying.
0: You could just strike out the last five of the ten
1: commandments as long as you're keeping
0: these first two. When you understand that God is love, then you'll understand the importance of his first two commandments. In today's message from Pastor Danny, he shares with you that God is loving and gracious. Everything that he does is through his overwhelming love for his creation. Pastor Danny encourages you that when you love God and love others, all of the other commandments will fall into place. Prioritize this week how you can express your love to the Lord and to others in a Christ-like way. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of James, chapter 2, with today's edition of The Living Word. To every nation for all
1: Deuteronomy chapter one, I'm not going to read all these verses, but in Deuteronomy chapter one, Moses, when he realized what a large congregation God had given him, here's what he said. Verse nine, at that time I said to you, you're too heavy a burden for me to carry alone.' The Lord, your God has increased your number so that today you're as many as the stars in the sky. Now that's a big church. May the Lord, the God of our fathers increase you a thousand times and bless you. But How can I bear your problems and your burdens all by myself? So verse 13, choose some wise, understanding, and respected men from each of your tribes, and I'll set them over you. So verse 15, I took the leading men of your tribes, wise and respected men, and appointed them to have authority over, get this, over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. In other words, all the way down to the life group leader, all the way down to the small group leader. And here's the charge. To these leaders. I charged your judges at that time, your leaders, hear the disputes between your brothers and judge fairly, whether the case is between brother Israelites or between one of them and an alien, someone from another country, another culture. Do not show partiality in judging. Hear both small and great alike. Do not be afraid of any man. In other words, don't let them influence you toward partiality and favoritism, all the way down to the small group leader. Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verse 18, appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town the Lord your God is giving you, and they shall judge the people fairly. Don't pervert justice or show partiality. Don't accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. Malachi chapter 2 verse 9, God actually judged uh, Israel for failing in this area, and he tells them. I'm judging you because you've shown partiality in matters of the law. You've shown favoritism. Now, God had just as much to say about it in the New Testament. But before we look at some of those, listen, let's just look at a couple of them. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 9. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no favoritism with him. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ you're serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 21, as Paul concludes this chapter on dealing with things in the church. And one of the last things he mentions is is if an elder sins, they are to be rebuked publicly. In other words, you don't show partiality just because they're an elder. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly. And then verse 21, he says, I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and do nothing out of favoritism. Now, why is this such a big deal? with God. And why is it so evil? Romans chapter two, verse six, listen, God will give to each person according to what he has done to those who by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, he'll give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and reject the truth and follow evil, there'll be wrath and anger. There'll be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. One more verse. Let me just read this one for us. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17, when Moses wants to extol our God as a great God, here's what he says in verse 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. Why is it such a big deal with God? Because in his nature, in his very being, there is no favoritism, no favoritism. Now, if you really receive that truth and understand it, right away you ought to be very thankful, very thankful. When you look at Jesus, Jesus Christ, the God-man, and when you study his life, you have exemplified in his life how to deal with other human beings, as a human being, because there's no favoritism in his character, no favoritism in his nature. Even the enemies of Jesus, uh, when he came to earth, knew this. You can write down Matthew chapter 22. Let me read it for you. Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 16. Verse 15, then the Pharisees went on, laid plans to trap Jesus in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teachers, they said, we know you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. There's no favoritism. There's no partiality. You know that if you study the life of Jesus and his disciples, there are people that his disciples would shun, that he would rebuke his disciples and he would accept. One of the first disciples he called, remember Matthew, Levi, sitting in his tax collector's booth. You want to know a person that was shunned in that culture, in that society, it would be Matthew, a Jewish tax collector. He's taxing for the Romans. He's a collector for the Romans. He betrayed his own people. And Jesus comes by and says, come follow me. Matthew was so moved, so moved. You know what he did? He threw a party for Jesus at his house, invited all his friends. And all his friends, you know who they are? They're people that none of the religious people would hang out with. And Jesus and his disciples get criticized for being at Matthew's house with all of his pals. He treats Zacchaeus, I I will forever now, until I get to heaven. And and I think when I get to heaven, of course, I'll know the truth, but I I think Zacchaeus looks like Danny DeVito. I really do. He's a short guy. He's up a tree. Jesus trees him. And he says, Matthew, uh, Zacchaeus, I got to go to your house today. Zacchaeus couldn't believe it. He's another guy that if you're religious, you know, in that culture, you're not going to hang out with the chief tax collector like Zacchaeus, but Jesus goes to his house. And because of Jesus's openness towards Zacchaeus, he gets saved. He gets saved. He says, Jesus, today, right now, today, if I've cheated anybody, and he cheated a lot of people, I, I'll pay back four times what I stole from them. And right here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and Jesus says, salvation has come to this house. Lepers. lep. I've been to India twice. It's, it's a tough place to minister. Exciting, but it's tough. We're getting ready to leave uh, one church meeting and we get on this bus and as we're about to leave, the door is open to the bus and I'm sitting right there and all of a sudden this lady just had leprosy all over a big part of her body. I'd never seen anything like that in my life. And the first just normal reaction is to withdraw. Jesus reached out and touched lepers. He touched them demoniacs that nobody else could have anything to do with, living in the tombs, cutting himself with, with, with stones, crying out. <laughs> and Jesus changed his life. The most outcast and ostracized people in that society. But now you flip the coin around and, li- and see this about Jesus. You study his life. A Pharisee on more than one occasion would invite him to a dinner at his house, and Jesus went. Self-righteous Pharisee, and Jesus went. Remember on one occasion, woman who had lived a sinful life in that town, everybody knew, everybody knew. I don't know if she was a prostitute, but everybody knew she had lived a sinful life. She comes in, breaks into this dinner at this Pharisee's house, wetting Jesus' feet with her hair uh, tears and wiping them with her hair. And what does the Pharisee think? If this man were a prophet, he wouldn't let her do that. He'd know what kind of woman she is. But the point is this. Jesus loved the Pharisee just as much as he loved the woman. There's no partiality. He'd go to the home of Pharisee just as fast as he would minister to a woman that had a sinful reputation in the town because there's no favoritism in his nature. That's why James starts out. That's why he opens this text uh, by saying, verse 1, my brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Because if you show favoritism, you misrepresent your Savior. Now, look, let me tell you something. Let me let you in on something. When I stand up here on this stage behind this pulpit and I teach a message, especially a message like this, you better know something. God's God's already spoken to me before he speaks to you. And I haven't arrived here. I want to be more like Jesus. I'm not there. There's some people even there's some people even in this church. I was so convicted some people even in this church. When I see them coming, I want to go the other way. Certain people I like to hang out with, and other people I, I don't like to hang out with. And don't miss the point. Don't miss the point. Persons education, economic status, looks. Wardrobe, social relationships, job, fame, prestige, earthly honor—all these collectively and individually mean nothing to God. Mean nothing. On the way back from Dallas yesterday, we we're getting ready to get on the plane, and I had been studying and preparing for the message. I needed a break. You know, sometimes you just got to get away from that. And I bought a USA Today, and uh, right on the front page, what caught my eye—first article I read—is a picture of a guy. And I didn't—I don't have it on the PowerPoint or anything, but. Here's how it opens up. Six years have passed since a roadside bomb set Ronnie Tony Porta on fire in Iraq when he was 20. And he's still trying to find his way home. Let me just read you sections of the article. There was no accident that I'm reading this article and studying James chapter 2. Porter was scorched across his face and all four limbs and places the fire burned through to muscle and bone. His right arm was amputated at the shoulder joint. He quite literally lost his face and underwent 128 surgeries mostly and rebuilt along with burned flesh on his left arm, both legs. It was about four months, listen to this, it was about four months after the explosion before he ever looked in the mirror. And he looked in the mirror and here's a quote. I couldn't see myself. I thought, who's going to love me now? If you saw his picture, he looks, like, he looks like a monster. He'd scare little kids. But I continue to read, friends marvel at how people miss the person beneath the ravaged skin. One quote, once he starts talking to you, his scars disappear and you do see and feel the person of Tony Porta, says James Williams, a physician assistant at Brooke Army Hospital. He's just a remarkable guy and very brave. Another friend says he's handsome on the inside. There's not a kinder, more faithful, loving young man than Ronnie Porta. What I kept coming back to and I underlined was the one statement. Friends marvel at how people miss the person beneath the ravaged skin. I am so thankful, as I know you are, God doesn't treat me based on what I look like, based on how influential I am, based on how rich I am. That's not the way God deals with people. He looks beyond that. He looks beyond that. So here's our challenge. Here's my challenge. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing excellent, excellent. Let me take you quickly to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, again, if you don't want to turn there, you can just listen. Verse 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, this is a guy that knew his Bible, he tested, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In essence, understand what I'm saying. You could just strike out the last five of the 10 commandments as long as you're keeping these first two. You keep these first two, then the last five. (laughs) You keep the love the the Lord your God and then love your neighbor as yourself, then you're not going to kill them. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. You're not going to steal from them shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You're not going to lie. You're not going to covet your neighbor's house or wife or, or Mercedes or clothes or anything like that if you keep these because this is the royal law. That's my challenge. That's your challenge. How am I going to do it? Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-one: to show partiality is not good. Yet, a man will do wrong for a piece. Now, there's a lot of scriptures I could put up here to make the point. What's the point on that scripture? It's not my tendency to be like God. My natural tendency is to show partiality. And sometimes for a piece of bread, whatever I'm going to get out of it, that's my tendency. And we need to understand, even people who know and love the Lord, even people who know and love the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 16, the first king of Israel, Saul, has been rejected by the Lord. Why? Because of sin, because of disobedience. And here's what God says to Samuel the prophet. I've rejected Saul as king, and I have gone, and I have found a man after my own heart. You go and anoint him, and God sends him to the house of a man named Jesse. Jesse has eight children. Samuel arrives, and here's what it says. When they, Samuel and his company, arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, the firstborn of Jesse, and he must have been tall, dark, and handsome. Samuel saw Eliab, and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. And he's about to anoint him. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't you consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. And then the second, Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, no, there is one more, but see, nobody considered this guy. And so they left young David out watching the sheep while they deal with the important business of anointing the next king. Samuel says, you go send him. Send for him. Bring him here. David walks in. And to, I'm sure, everybody's shock, including the prophet of God, Samuel, God says to him, he's the one. Anoint him. Let me read you a verse that I left out. The Lord said to Samuel, don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Even Samuel, one of the greatest prophets of the Bible, had a tendency to be partial based on something outward. I'll give you one more and we'll bring it to a close. Acts chapter 10, Peter is on the rooftop, chilling. God puts him in a trance, gives him a vision, lets a sheet down from heaven. And on the sheet are all kind of unclean animals. Now understand Peter. Peter has grown up in a a, uh, Jewish culture, and Peter has never, ever violated the Old Testament dietary laws. He's never eaten anything unclean. By the way, this is the same Peter all right? This is the Peter that when Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And some, well, some say you're one of the prophets. Some say you're Elijah. uh, But who do you say I am? And Peter, you know, says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You better know Peter's flexing his spiritual chest at that point. He's feeling pretty good. On the day of Pentecost, the same Peter Peter gets up and filled with the Holy Spirit, he stands up and proclaims Jesus, and 3,000 people get saved. He's a man of God. He's a man being used by God, but he's a man that still needs to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And so he's there in the trance. God lets down the sheet with all these unclean animals, and God says to him, Peter, get up kill and eat. You know what Peter says? No way, Lord. I have never eaten anything unclean. I have never defiled myself in that way. Well, God's got a piece of work on his hand. So second time, God lets the sheep down from heaven. God says, Peter, get up, kill and eat. And Peter a second time says, Lord, no way. And a third time, a third time. And the third time, right after God says, get up, Peter, kill and eat, a knock on the door. Some messengers from a house of a man named Cornelius, an uncircumcised Gentile centurion. And God spoke to Cornelius, said, okay, send for a guy named Peter. Here's where he's staying and I'll speak to you through him. So Cornelius gets excited, invites all of his uncircumcised pagan family and friends. The house is packed with these uncircumcised Gentiles. And the messengers come and say, we've come from Cornelius' house. He sent for you. And the Spirit says, Peter, go with him. When Peter steps across the threshold of Cornelius' house, it was one of the biggest steps as a follower of Jesus Christ he's ever taken and one of the most difficult Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people, and he said to them, You're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. Peter began to speak, verse 34, and he said, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Peter an apostle, a man of God, a man used greatly by God, but something needed to change in Peter's life to become more like Jesus Christ. Because up until that point, he was partial toward his circumcised Jewish friends and didn't realize that God deals with Gentiles just like he does with Jews because there's no favoritism in his nature, none.
0: Today on The Living Word, Pastor Danny Hodges has been teaching through a series from the book of James. When you look in the mirror, you see a reflection. If you move your arm away from your body, the mirror shows that movement. Well, much of what James writes about is encouraging and challenging believers to have action that reflects their faith like that mirror. Don't just go around saying one thing but then never doing anything that backs it up. Your faith should be real and evident. So what are some personal takeaways that you've gained from today's edition in James? We encourage you to keep tuning into this series to continue growing in your understanding and your walk with God. There's much more that Pastor Danny wants to share with you from the book of James. Before we go, we wanted to mention that if you live in or near the St. Petersburg area, all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship would love to have you join us for our weekend services. Just go to ccfstpete.church to get directions and service times. Again, that's ccfstpete.church P-E-T-E. Dot church. Thanks so much for listening today and for having the desire to grow your faith into action. We hope that what you've learned here helps you come alive through listening and learning from the living word.